Hello and welcome to The Ponderer. My name is Aaron, and on today's podcast, I'll be sharing some formative experiences. Stay tuned. This is going to be a collection of my experiences, some stories I want to share. The first of those experiences that I like to share is a story from when I was about five, but really for much of my childhood, it seemed really relevant. Uh, I remember one phrase more than any other from my childhood. And that saying was, figure it out. More than any other statement, I remember this one pretty well. You know, it could come in different forms, but the sentiment was always the same. It could sound like, sucks. Or, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what you want me to do. Those other expressions all aired the same sentiment, figure it out. The reason behind this saying was because my parents often wanted me to be independent and self-reliant, learn how to problem solve and do things on my own as, you know, a small kid under the age of seven. I heard that quite often. And after a while, it seemed to work. I was doing things on my own most of the time. But the real point in which this all began was one particular moment that I can remember, at least. One time, um, you know, around the age of five, I was, you know, at this time, I'm, I'm playing with my older brother, who's two and a half years older than me, and he... Um, you know, he's probably like seven and a half, almost eight at this point while I'm five. And, you know, of course, he's a bit older than me, but uh, taller, stronger, right? And I look up to him as a younger brother. And we play, you know, with toys after school. And so we're playing with toys. And, and the common occurrence is he takes the toy and says kind of like it's his turn or it's while we're playing a game he wins and so i lose and obviously that makes me upset when it happens over and over and over again and i can't seem to win because of his you know different reasonings and his assurance that he's right about this subject so naturally as a five-year-old i'm quite upset and frustrated and so i cry whether he's taking the toy away from me he's you know we're getting into the scuffle and 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 you know, perhaps that sometimes I'm, you know, pushed or knocked down. And so this is a common occurrence. My mom obviously knows this. And she's, you know, at times she's come up to our room in which we share and, you know, told us to, you know, knock it off or to, you know, settle things. And this particular day, you know, it happens again. And... I remember my older brother ripping, I think it was a Buzz Lightyear toy. I'm not sure. It could have been like a Power Ranger. It really could have been anything. A toy out of my hands and then walking out the room. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think it was like his or he was asserting that it was his time to play with it, even though, you know, it could have been anybody's. Um, and this obviously, you know, made me distressed and I started to cry, you know, at five years old. I remember crying on the floor on this, you know, head cheek on the carpet. So like laying horizontal, tears streaming down my face and upper lip, snot even starting to come out. And, you know, I was thinking to myself, you know, um, you know, if I cry, my mom will come. And she'll help me. I was crying in my room with a cracked 
uh, door. It was kind of halfway open. And through that doorway, I could see the top of the stairs. So one other thing also is that I knew that I was in the room directly above the room that my mom was in. And me having my mouth literally a centimeter from the floor and crying, I knew that she could hear me. Um, she was always in that room beneath me. I was looking at the stairs. Like the whole setup was, hey, if I cry, my mom will come. And so I lay there crying. It's like mid-afternoon, crying. Um, snot now and tears pooling after a couple minutes. It may have been less, but it felt like an eternity. Um, of just crying and then I cry so much for so long I even think to myself maybe if I cry louder my mom will hear me and hear the distress and come to comfort me or to you know resolve the situation um, but about you know however long um, I eventually run out of breath um, I run out of energy to cry you know, there's no more tears to cry. It's just my effort and my sobs. And I slowly realize that I don't think my mom's coming. I look at the stairs. I don't hear her walking up the stairs. Nothing's really changed since the moment this happened. So, you know, I... And get up and wipe the tears off my face. You know, I just sit there and I kind of realize that, you know, she wasn't joking. You know, figure it out actually meant figure it out. And it was up to me to figure it out, to solve this problem. And she wasn't going to come, even though I cried loudly. You know, from that day, I got the message. And I think that from there um, was the day that a lot changed for me. You know, I think that experience started to shape the way I solved my problems which were um, based around that phrase figure it out so you know come on uh, you know come later years I would learn to figure it out myself and you know thinking about it I figured things out um, by any means you know I figured it out by well first not relying on anybody else but myself um, you know, don't rely on mom, don't rely on dad, older brother, just me. And so, you know, if I wanted something, up to me. If I needed something, up to me. Um, and, you know, being a kid, don't have access to a lot of tools, a lot of things. And so, you know, kind of had to get creative with it, you know, solve things in different ways. But also, you know, you know, there's there's things that I just couldn't solve. Um, so if I wanted something, I'd have to really determine not only how to get it, but even after like thinking about it for a while, I would have to, um, yeah, categorize things into needs and wants. Um, and things that I need, I'd obviously try to get. And I was, you know, provided for. I don't want to make it sound like I wasn't provided for in any way. But, you know, certain needs. Um, uh, for example, like getting my mom's signature for, like, permission slips for school. I remember that. I mean, I remember being incredibly stressed about that. Uh, and, you know, I don't know if you thought think about this, but... You know, if you look, think back to those days, it, it probably wasn't all that stressful for you, I assume, listening. Um, 
I expect for most people it isn't, but for me, it was very stressful to think about getting a signature from my mom, mainly because it would mean that I'd have to rely on her for this thing. There's, there's, you know, I couldn't forge her signature, and so I would need to, um, you know, get it straight from her, and it... I remember like my, it was always like I had to build up to it. I had to build up to asking my mom for a signature. Not only because it was relying on her, but it was also because, you know, it was almost, it was almost never fun asking my mom for anything. It always felt like I was burdening her by asking, you know, doing anything really at that time. And so uh, I remember that being just incredibly stressful um, when it really, I guess, looking back, shouldn't have been. But the underlying thought within my head was I need this thing. I need this signature. But a lot of the way my mom acts makes me think that I won't get it. It makes me think that my need will not be met. You know, from the time when I was, you know, five and, you know, having fights with my older brother, you know, it made me think, you know, I'm tracking it back to that point in time. And that experience made me think, you know, if if my mom's not going to be there for me, then I guess nobody is. I guess it's got to be up to me. And so, you know, come later on with the signature and more things, it became stressful to rely on anyone else. It was so, I was so afraid that I wasn't going to get what I needed or I was going to be left, left alone by myself. You know, and that's, a, that's another part of it. Uh, <laughs> I think that's when I got pretty good at being alone. I remember, I remember that day pretty well, I suppose, and the and the many days to follow. Uh, being alone, uh, yeah. I mean, this kind of tendency to isolate or to be alone. Uh, I had a pretty big family growing up, so it's not like I could ever be like alone, alone. But I would often um, be either in a different part of the house or be in my room to where people were not around me so that I didn't have to expel energy. I didn't have to, again, so like this is a whole, coming back to this whole need thing. So it's like, I only have a little bit of energy. So am I going to use it, you know, all the time? Am I going to get it, you know, by, you know, some part of the day, am I going to be all like tired and, and without energy? And so, Basically, um, I kind of, yeah, uh, just played by myself. I remember, I mean, so like in the example of story or the, in the real story that I just said, um, I'm playing with my older brother. After that point, I don't remember playing with my older brother all that much. I think a lot of things changed. I remember playing by myself a lot more. I'm sure, you know, um, we played together sometimes, but it was... I'm sure it drastically decreased um, at a certain point. I remember playing by myself um, way more um, towards the, like, you know, past five, towards, like, upper ten, you know, upper numbers towards ten, so that's, like, eight, nine, ten. Um, and also, I think it's around this time where I began, I begin to be very, like, picky about my toys, and so... Um, like, I remember, like, not wanting him to touch them at all, like, very, like, possessive about them, like, the amount that they squeak. So, like, you know, I like to play with action figures as a kid. And so one of the, I guess, like, realities of action figures is that, or what the ones that I liked were that they were flexible, they could move, like, basically like a human could um, in most cases. And, like, from all those joints, they'd become, like, squeaking at times because, you know, it's hard plastic on hard plastic. 
And so there's some squeaking at times. And so if someone's, and, and the friction was good in, in, in some cases, and uh, there's a particular way in which I like them. Um, and it wasn't like too loose because then they're just floppy and it's kind of weird and bad. And, you know, I wouldn't want my older brother to even touch them because the, I knew that the oils on their hand, on his hands, would disrupt the way that the toys were. So I became very possessive about them. Like, um, this is not just like, I'm trying to make the connection that this is not just a toy thing. It's not just about toys, but it's more about, um, like needs and desires and like what, um, I can control because, you know, from the beginning story, um, you know, my wants and desires didn't feel like they were going to be looked after by others so it was my job to look after what i you know valued and desired and needed so you know toys you know as a kid toys are everything right and so you know it was my job to protect my toys i guess and not letting anybody touch them basically was a way to protect my things i cared about because you know if i gave it to my older brother he'd do things that I didn't, you know, like. And so I wouldn't allow him to touch them. You know, this whole idea of, you know, relying on oneself. You know, I can't trust anyone to look out for my interests. And so I have to look out fervently for my own. Uh, it made me very... Uh, yeah, I guess isolated and internal. And for a, a lot of years there, um, I, uh, I remember being like very isolated. You know, I, I grew up in a family of like seven people. So it was, I guess, more apparent, if anything, that I was always in my room, like door closed, like didn't like I remember one particular time I think this is around the time where I started to make a bit of a shift but I remember it more clearly um you know like it was uh it was around like New Year's Eve I think it was New Year's Eve so you know we're counting down the hours and I think it's like it's a little past my bedtime so I'm tired and like I'm like I've been saying with this whole like you know energy system like I'm lowering lowering on my energy and so it's not a great feeling. I'm like physically tired, like socially tired. And I'm like, you know, I don't really care about, you know, the countdown. So I'm just like, eh, I think I'm like around the age of like 11, perhaps. And I just, you know, I'm like, I'm going to sleep to my family. And they're like, oh, okay. And I like walk up the stairs. And I remember like pausing at the top of the stairs and like hearing like them chattering and, you know, um, you know, just being together and in, in front of the TV, um, while I was, you know, away and as the house got quieter and quieter, as I, you know, walked up those stairs, I kind of felt that like the juxtaposition, I think I felt that maybe for the first time of like, wow, like everyone else is down there with one another and one another and having like some sort of you know good time while I don't like I'm I'm not there and I'm choosing not to be there and I feel I remember feeling slightly conflicted like oh should I want to be down there um yeah I just remember that being you know my thoughts um but before that though i remember you know not caring at all like if anything it was more of a necessity that i was doing that and in in that new year's example it was also out of necessity i didn't feel like i could go down again just because i was quite tired um but yeah like i i just didn't especially when i was younger i didn't care very much i was just like i'm looking out for myself here just I need to do me, basically. I need to do what, you know, uh, is good for myself. And I guess a lot of people would, like, applaud that. But honestly, it's not. It wasn't that 
healthy or like I was just doing it way too much. It wasn't like considerate of anyone else. It was really just, um, it was just survival. I felt like a lot of times, um, you can imagine, um, I'm sure just like, uh, I was just feeling like I had to survive really. Um, again, I was very provided for, it was never, never like I was, you know, starving or anything like that, but I just felt like there was this ongoing battle or struggle, one could say, or, you know, back and forth between, you know, getting what I need and like the environment that I was in. Um, whether that be like alone time or like things I care about, which were, you know, like I said, the toys or like perhaps food, um, like, or like a treat I'm saying. So yeah, there's always this back and forth between those two, um, as a, as a kid. The next, um, experience that I want to kind of talk about was, you know, when I was in third grade, so this is not long after, well, actually, no, it it happens much later, but I start, um, I start taking or going to a Taekwondo studio in like third grade, I think that's pretty accurate. And, you know, I, I continue until like the end of eighth grade. So it's quite a few years there. Um, at the beginning, you know, uh, enrolled by my mom and encouraged by my dad, um, to do this. I do this with my older brother and my younger brother. Um, and so, you know, they both join me, all three of us are going and it's, you know, uh, a good time at first and we're having a lot of fun challenging fit us physically we're like you know rolling around kicking jumping the whole nine yards and it's great i mean we love it as you know as i'm in third grade and my brother's you know fifth my other brother's like first grader or preschool or kindergarten or however old he is you know we're all doing it together and it's fun but you know after we get you know I don't know, three, four belts in, it gets like pretty hard. The new, the newness of it is gone. Um, it's a bit more of a grind. It's pretty grueling, you know, um, as you get further up in the belts, things get tend to, you know, progress pretty fast. And the, you know, the challenge of it gets to where it's, yeah, definitely a grind. It's physically intensive. You're like after school, like it's uh school is already kind of like, you know, sucks but then you have homework afterwards and then you go and you know put on a lot of gear and and get hit by people so it it wasn't that fun towards you know middle school um and so like i i you know i get out of a couple years go by and now i'm in middle school and you know i'm starting to be like getting this socially anxious feeling when i go um it's uh you know i don't know what the word is for it yet but I can now look back and say it was, I was anxious. I was very, it was, I was, um, having like anxiety about going because, um, one, it was, there was tests involved. So like you'd go up in front of people and they'd watch you and they'd see if your form was correct or like you need to spar someone and everyone would be watching and like you could definitely lose. And so, you know, as in like, as a, you know, as my self-esteem wasn't that high in like middle school and being anxious about this, like it was, it was not a good mix. Like, you know, on top of being, you know, a tired, sleepy, like teenager or soon to be a teenager, you know, it wasn't the greatest mix. I was having a pretty tough time. Um, and you know, another detail is there was a, a, you know, an instructor who was kind of like harder on me than everyone else. Um, I don't, I, I didn't really know why people like other people like didn't like, she was hard on everybody, but she was especially hard on me. Like I felt like called out a lot of times and it would be, and it, you know, it, it's not bias here. It, like people knew, like people knew that I got called out more than, than everyone else. And it was, it was not fun. So that, that's worsened it for me. Um, and so all this goes on and I'm like, Oh, like this is really getting to it. And so, you know, both me it's not it's not just me either like my younger brother as well like airs complaints and i'm like yeah this sucks um and so i air some complaints here and they're like oh i don't want to do this mom like can we stop and she's like no like just go to the next belt and then you can stop then and then once we do that it's always the same story oh just go to the next belt then you can stop 
And so we eventually get up to the belt that is right before black belt. We get up to like the closest you can be before being a black belt. That's what we were. The closest thing. Um, stripes and everything. And we were very close. Uh, but I, and this is also at the time, which this is culminating for me. Like it is getting worse. Like I'm hiding in the bathroom, like for 30 minutes, 15 minutes at a time to get out of doing this. It is bad. I'm feeling the pressure. I'm feeling the anxious feelings. Like I'm like, you know, physically at more stress than I ever should be at this place. Uh, the instructor again, being hard on me, uh, and pushing me more than I like. And I'm in middle school. I'm not, I'm not, you know, mentally tough at this point. I'm, I'm very like, very, uh, skittish, very like, um, afraid. I'm literally afraid, like in that, in that space, I was very afraid. Um, and it's come to a point where I want to quit. I seriously want to quit. And so, you know, I remember again, I'm thinking about this the whole time I'm ruminating on these feelings and I'm like, this has to stop. And so I go downstairs to my mom one day. Uh, it's like, it's like after dinner. So, you know, maybe seven or something like that. Um, and I say, I want to quit. And I don't, you know, I'm also an eighth grader. I don't have the vocabulary, nor do I even know the word anxiety. It wasn't really talked about when I was in this place. And so I say, you know, I want to play, I want to quit. This place sucks. You know, I feel bad when I go there. And, you know, I, I didn't express all the, you know, nuanced details in that I didn't have the greatest understanding of what my situation was. I just knew deep within me that this place sucked I didn't like being there I feel a little called out all the time it's a lot of pressure and I'm getting kind of beat up here it's not fun let me let me stop this uh, and I remember the response of my mom very clear um, it was I've spent way too much money for you to go here just get your black belt and finish it that was her response. And I remember being shocked. Um, there was more to it. There was a bit more back and forth, but really it, it ended pretty quickly. Um, and to me, you know, in my head that translated to, I don't care about your feelings or how you feel about this. I care about results. And that really hit me. It really made me, you know, you know, combined with the story that I just told you at the beginning, it, it echoes a similar sentiment. You know, I remember having to sit with that for a little bit because, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't great to hear. In the end, though, um, that summer we stopped going, um, so I wouldn't complete the course and I wouldn't um, get my black belt. But to me, that that wasn't really important to me. So there's that. Um, yeah, going back, I mean, the message um, also, you know, shaped me, I think. You know, looking back at those uh, experiences. So, you know, in that studio or in my own home, I needed to be, you know, thinking about my own needs and like how to solve problems. And, uh, yeah, thinking back, one of the general strengths that I think I have is just being observant and also reflective. And I think some of that comes from just doing it out of necessity. Um, I remember a couple of so some examples are like from my room, if I opened my door enough or I went down the stairs like a half flight, I would be able to, you know, hear what was going down or going on downstairs. And so to avoid my mom from asking me things or getting in the way of my plans, I would often scoot around, you know, and avoid her and um listen for like where she was in the house so that I could like if I wanted to get a snack let's say from the kitchen there's two entryways to the kitchen 
one through like the front and one through like the side back. And I knew the angle in which my mom could see through the room that she was always in. She was in the family room and she could see a small, like from the doorway, a small like edge part of the kitchen. And so I knew that she's looking there or if she saw motion, she'd look up and see that. So I would come around from the opposite side and enter through the back of the kitchen to get my snack and then go back upstairs. And it's not like she would, didn't want me to have snacks or something like that, far far from the case, but it's just I didn't want to even be, like, noticed. Uh, I didn't want to have to be asked what I was doing. Um, in reality, my mom could have, like, helped me get a better snack or something like that, but in my mind, it was, I just want this thing, and I don't want anyone interrupting me from getting this thing, right? Because... One, I'm hungry, and, and that's a need. And so I need food. I'm going to get it myself. No one's going to impede on this process. Even if it wasn't the best process, no one was going to... It was better safe than sorry, right? The possibility of someone even interrupting that was, you know, stressful for me. So I, I wouldn't want to even dare to incorporate others in that plan because, again... They could let me down. They could not care. All those things. And then in the in the Taekwondo studio, I there's a small window into the office of where the instructors uh, usually were. Like there's like student instructors whom you know uh, would lead things. Like they were black belts and they would kind of you know help lead the the time, um, the training. And then the 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 people who owned the place and who were you know higher up and instructors were like in this small very like very small one room office and it had its window in it and i could and you know during those stressful times that i was there my eyes were often locked on that window on where the instructors were i knew where the instructors were my whole time it was like i had 360 vision i was like i knew the sound of the door when it opened i could tell when they were shifting papers or about to get up i could tell the 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 scooting back of a chair, like it was like I had all my attention towards there because to me that was incredibly stressful. Like those instructors would ask of me to do things that, um, yeah, stress me out. Like, oh, it's time to do this. And then we'd all have to go and get our sparring gear. And there was also punishment, like if you weren't fast enough. And so, like, that was always, like, really stressful in that place. So there's just, like, there's a ton of things I guess I could say about that place. But it was, yeah, it that that situation made me super um, observant. Um, there's also a lot going on there. So it wasn't like I need to be that observant. But it was, it was like, the, the correct placement. Like, I could also do, like, because like there'd be like these you know pads that you'd hit, you know to practice your form or to, you know your power kicking or whatever, and I would always try to get the angle in which they couldn't see me best from that window, or if they were looking, even if they were from the front, I would take the position of hiding most. Like I was, I always wanted to hide in that place. It's like a open square box. There's nowhere to hide. But when you know twenty people are there and you bring out some mats and some stuff like. It can kind of, you can kind of fudge it. So I was always trying to get the best angle. And, you know, even thinking about that is kind of crazy to me now, thinking about it, because, I mean, I was just doing whatever it took, whatever it took to, you know, get out of that situation, which I was forced into, making the best of a bad situation, I suppose. I was, you know, oh, man, just trying to make it bearable for myself. I'm just trying to survive, Um, you know. Saying survive makes it sound like it was life and death, but it wasn't, but it felt like that. That's my, you know, meaning behind survival. It just felt like I was going to die, but it, I I wasn't, but it felt like it, right? And I think those are some of the times or the experiences that made me more, I guess, perceptive. Because um, I, I just kind of had to the next stories that i'd like to share um, or story that i'll be sharing is uh, a bit more recent 
you know, at the uh, beginning of college, I had um, a small friend group um, or just people I hung out with whom it was kind of like our class. And so like, um, yeah, they're all like we came into college together and then we uh, formed friendships. And then, you know, the second year we're together, um, you know, I consider them all my friends and, you know, we hang out. Um, but there's someone whom, there's two people whom I was, you know, a bit closer to. Um, one being a guy, the other being a girl. And, you know, um, at, at this point in time, you know, like, you know, we're just, you know, I don't know, hanging out. And sometimes, one, one time we went to the beach, the other times, you know, we just go out and study or get food. Classic, just, you know, chill hangs all around. Um, but at, at some point... Um, I start to get closer with, um, the female friend and we're just kind of hanging out on, you know, like twice a week for maybe like four or five hours plus maybe. So like, you know, 10 hours in a week perhaps, um, that we're like hanging out and we're hanging out, um, just the two of us, um, completely just friends, like just completely friends, mutual, um, just friendship. Um, and there eventually comes some things where, uh, the rest of the friendship. So there's like, I think five, six of us, um, uh, six, we could, we could say six, but a light six, like one of, one of the people aren't, isn't that all that connected to the group. But anyways, so Myself, the female friend, and the male friend are three of the six in this friend group. And um, me hanging out with this friend, um, you know, for maybe 10 hours a week, one-on-one, was, even though we're just friends, was kind of concerning to the to the rest of the group. And the rest of the group get, um, became concerned because they thought something was about to go down. And in full truth... It was not. Nothing was about to go down. Uh, I can say that for absolute certainty. Me and my friend talked about this, and we're like, yeah, we're not really each other's thing. We can, you know, we're just friends. And so we relayed the message back to everyone else. Hey, not, it's not, nothing's gonna, nothing's happening. This is just friends. And unfortunately, they didn't believe me. Um, And so eventually like this comes to a point of like going back and forth, like, no, nothing's happening to, we think something's going to happen and, 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 and back and forth, back and forth to where they have a private meeting. So the rest of them went to one school. Um, I went to a different school. So me being one person, the five of them being the others that go to this other school. So they all had this bit of a meeting, um, about this and then, you know, discussed it and came up with a solution. So, um, and the solution was to basically, um, excommunicate me. Um, so later on, or after the decisions made, this whole thing goes down. It's kind of like winter-ish, winter-ish break, I think, around the time this happens, a little before then, maybe November, I forget exactly what break it was, but I come back and my friend's not talking to me that much. And actually none of them are. But this one person whom I'm closest with, that female friend who I was hanging out twice a week with, is no longer hanging out with me. Like, no longer making a initiative to, like, talk or hang out or whatever. So, first week goes by and I'm like, okay, perhaps she's tired and, like, it's, you know, it's whatever, whatever, you know, we could take a break for a week, whatever, cool. Second week goes by, still nothing, still same, like, odd feeling that I'm getting from everyone. I'm like, huh. Well, maybe she's busy and so is everyone else. I'll uh I'll chalk it up to that. Nope, no problem. No problem. Next week. Next week then. Come around to next week and same thing happens except everything's just, you know, multiplied at this point because it's just been compounding, compounding the feelings of this odd thing. And I'm like, okay, well now this is weird. It's been three weeks on top of break and I'm getting these really weird vibes. And um, I eventually ask the dude friend whom uh, me and him are the only guys in this in this friend group. And so I ask him, like, 
yo, like, what is up? What's going on? And he goes like, oh, um, yeah, um, let's talk for a moment. And so we go out and talk and basically informs me of what happened, the meeting, the decision, and now the execution. Um, I have been excommunicated, basically. I've been cut out for something that hasn't even happened yet or that I've tried to assure them wouldn't happen. Um, but they didn't believe me. And I remember talking with this guy friend whom, you know, I felt somewhat close to, like, yo, dude, like, what? And he was like, yeah, we think you're not right. And I'm, like, super confused by this. Like, you think there's something going to go down because I have feelings for this person? They're like, he's basically like, yeah. And I'm saying, and I remember saying to him, like, straight up in the face, like, I do not. I don't. I'm serious, bro. Like, I don't. Uh, in all in all seriousness, I told him that, and I can tell he was kind of conflicted, but in, in, at the end of the day, he didn't believe me. No one did. And so, um, it kind of progressed in that manner where the... I had to figure everything out, I guess, again, by myself. I was piecing together what little they told me and dealing with the consequences of what the party had made, the decision that they made about me. Um, you know, and I guess to paint the picture a bit more, imagine losing basically all of the friends your age in your, in your graduating class and... Just like being alone. Now I don't hang out with anybody. I don't hang out with them during this time. I have a few friends who are slightly older than me and then slightly younger than me. They're cool, but it's not like we hang out like I did with my other friend group, who I'm now, you know, estranged from. And this place that we all went now becomes kind of strange. It used to be my home, and it definitely doesn't feel like home anymore. It feels weird and awkward and bad. Because no one... And I also, like, so... Once I find this out, I'm like, what? Like, I need to talk to these people. So I go out and I talk to each person basically individually um, of the friend group, and I'm like, yo, like, what? Like what what's going like why did this happen and why didn't you guys tell me like i'm frustrated i'm confused and i'm hurt like what is going on i talk to them each individually and they give me somewhat of the same um they basically said um yeah like we don't think we don't believe you one and we don't think this is good and we're and also this other part it was like we're already over it. You should get over it too. Uh, I remember that sentiment being like pretty strong and forward. Like that was so long ago. You shouldn't, we like, we don't need to talk about this anymore. Like it's over. Like just forget about it. Like just really like hush, hush, throw it under the rug thing. And man, I think that was tough because they had made the decision weeks before I caught up to whatever was going on. So I was behind basically a month, um, more than a month, I think, um, between figuring it all what happened and the effects of what went on. And so while they were all trying to move on with the semester and move on from all the, you know, turbulence of that time, I was in shambles looking at my life like, what the heck happened? Like, I was still trying to make sense of the whole thing. And also, like really process through my feelings of like being hurt so badly by people whom I considered friends. Now, none of them really, or at that time, not none of them seemed like friend or being friendly towards me and just instantly ostracized. So that was, you know, um, a time where like, I just felt completely abandoned. Yeah. 
and uh, you know that 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 time was um, a case where I, I yeah definitely felt abandoned. I think all those stories that I just told were times where I felt abandoned. Um, I think that's in part why I have a tendency to you know isolate myself because I don't want to be abandoned again. So why don't I just do it first per se? Um, you know, now after all those experiences, I'm removed, I'm, you know, a bit removed from all of those, uh, now, but you know, um, yeah, I, I think about them and I'm thinking about, um, what I felt and like what all those, you know, had a, had, what effects those had. And I think now I'm, I'm, I've grown from those and I've also tried to work through those feelings of, you know, abandonment and of often confusion and frustration. Um, I'm now at this place where I'm at, uh, I'm no longer just being like what, um, I'm no longer letting those experiences like fully affect me. I, I, I understand what effect they can have on my, uh, actions of, you know, withdrawing and, and being, and not letting people, um, be close. And so I, I've learned that and I've, you know, come to realize that and try to, you know, avoid that and, you know, re rewire my programming in a way. And I'm now at this place where I'm constantly at a push and pull with my old self and the self that I kind of, the actions in which I want to choose. So there's like the old, um, still strong, like portion of me. And there's this new like portion in which I understand to be better and a path to improvement while, uh, still remembering the other. So it's just like these two that are kind of in, in conflict with one another. There's the part that, you know, knows and desires, you know, to be with people, to connect and to be vulnerable and all the things that I've said in previous episodes. And there's the other side that seems to dwell and remember the hurt and pain of feeling abandoned. And they constantly collide and, you know, kind of like that um, feeling, the feeling at least, not the situation, but the feeling at least of when I had a at that New Year's um, or that New Year's Eve, I was, you know, conflicted. And, and similarly here in my life now, it's often to connect or not to connect. Um, to risk connecting would mean to risk being abandoned or being hurt in some other way. And uh, ultimately, I, I'm glad to say I, I think I choose more often than not to connect with people, but it is an incredible, like, um, part of me to not, to veer away from that, to, um, yeah, sus be sustained by myself, be a little bubble off to the side, to not engage with others, and to not let people in, to, you know, all the reasons, you know, I think those stories help to understand that part of, myself and it's still uh a struggle i suppose but yeah I, like i just said i feel like i i choose to engage more than disengage which you know is great but um still working through that because uh, it's 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 not easy when the memory is so like visceral and i can remember it and you know, in a sense, it still hurts when I remember it. So, um, on top of the fact that there hasn't been like, even though like being with people has been good and, and nice and like, there's definitely like a lot of new memories I've made and a lot of like new good things that I've you know felt and experienced from that. It's, uh, for whatever reason, the amount of like joy and happiness that I feel from being with people is never as quite as like large or as heavy as like the sadness and pain feels. 
I don't know if that's, you know, for me or for everybody, for some people. That's kind of how I feel, though. Like, when I remember things, it's, like, really big and really heavy, and it sucks. And then I experience these new things, and they're like, wow, they're nice. Wow, that's cool. Like, I definitely enjoy them. It's not like I don't. But then when I, like, put them together and I put them side by side, one is definitely larger than the other in terms of, like, intensity and... I guess gravity. The other is like are nice and it's like, I don't know. It's kind of like a handful of, you know, Cheerios is not the same weight or like roughness as like a handful of nails. It's yeah, they're not quite equal. They're um one is nice, the other's not so nice, but the nice not the not so nice one is like very heavy and I don't know. Uh I don't really have an ending to that sort of analogy, but I hope you get the picture. It uh, doesn't feel quite equal. And I'm hoping that, like, as life continues, that the the one hand that is lighter but filled with better things um, will increase in size and in weight. Um, there's still probably more to the process that has to be going, and I'm still, um, yeah, invested in in that journey of mine or whatever timeline that appears um, but yeah, that's been a couple stories that I felt were, you know, relevant and, and on my mind. And so, um, I hope you found this, you know, somewhat entertaining or helpful in any sort of way, even if it's, you know, not your favorite thing to listen to. I hope it's, I hope it's something nice. Um, so this has been The Ponderer. Um, you can email me at theponderpodcast at gmail.com or leave a review on iTunes or Apple Music, whatever. And, uh, yeah. Goodbye.